Welcome to Podagogies, a learning and teaching podcast. I'm Curtis Maloli. And I'm Chelsea Jones. We're recording from our homes in Southern Ontario, Canada. I'm recording from Treaty 3, which is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe people, and part of the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Agreement. And I'm currently in Toronto, which is Treaty 13 territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, and also the Dish with One Spoon territory. Joining us today is a team of four educators from Western University who put together a course called Connecting for Climate Change Action that they are redesigning for a wider audience. The course works to expand beyond teaching students about the science of climate change to focus on taking action. Here to tell us more is Dr. Katrina Moser, Dr. Beth Hundy, Sarah Maychitty, and Serena Mondesabel. So rather than read out four lengthy bios here, uh, we thought we'd just start by giving each of you an opportunity to introduce yourselves uh, and your role in this uh, climate change course. And so Dr. Moser, Katrina, maybe we'll start with you. So um, my name's Katrina Moser, as you said, and I'm a Associate Professor in Geography and Environment at Western and also the Chair of the Department. And uh, I have taught the climate change course here for uh, quite some time. I guess it's about two years ago that we came together as a group to try and redesign the course to both um, help students take action on climate change, but also to provide a course that contains Indigenous knowledge and perspectives. And then somehow you got in touch with Beth here. Hi everyone, my name is Beth Hundy. Uh, I am a curriculum specialist in the Department of Geography and Environment. Uh, I'm also an assistant professor in geography and my area of expertise is environmental change. And I also have experience in educational development. So um, I became a part of this project because I can provide some of that kind of online teaching and educational experience, but also because climate change is a deep passion of mine and my background as well. Sarah May? Uh, is my English name. Uh, I'm a Mississauga Ojibwe woman. So I'm a member of Alderville First Nation. And I was born here in London, Ontario. Um, so that's why I say Dushkinzibing in Nunjaba, because that's uh, the territory where I'm from. And Nigakinindodam, Shaganashan, and Ainolissum. So I'm Otter Clan, and my dad is a third generation British white settler. But then also in an academic context, I am a curriculum and pedagogy advisor in the Office of Indigenous Initiatives. So I was tapped on the shoulder by Katrina and Beth to participate in the course because um, of my understanding of Indigenous curriculum and pedagogy development. And um, as well, I'm just passionate. I've, you know, been known to be at a few protests for pipelines and things like that. <laughs> so, you know, as I think it's demonstrated throughout the course is um, that because our cultures are so intrinsically connected to the land, I just really saw an opportunity with this course to connect some of my own advocacy, which is around how Indigenous peoples are very uniquely positioned to challenge existing and um, now non-existent environmental laws and uh, different processes that contribute to climate change and environmental degradation. And so that's kind of where I come in. So happy to have you here. Uh, Serena, finally you. 
Eskeno, now go Eskeno, Srinini Gausan, Gaigo Honanu Krenzoden, Otunini Vishoutan. So, hi, I'm Srinu Mandi Sabal. I am Kiyuga Wolf Clan from Six Nations. I'm also a Panamanian from Panama <laughs> um, on my dad's side. And I'm a current master's student at Western University in geography and environment. I focus specifically on indigenous environmental health governance. So, uh, the connection between indigenous health and industrial impact or climate change. I also am an avid grassroots organizer and indigenous climate advocate. I work with uh, Protect the Track with our traditional governance, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, helping them enforce the moratorium on development on our territory, the Haldeman Track, but also the beaver hunting grounds. And I um, also work at Sacred Earth Solar. It's an indigenous solar organization focused on empowering frontline communities, those standing in occupation of uh, development or environmental degradation altogether uh, with solar energy. And um, I am um, a research assistant. My role's a little bit changed. They've, they've seemed to like my what I've brought to the course to be a collaborator with them as well. But yeah, I kind of bring that youth perspective and that student perspective. Also, I guess that grassroots and frontline kind of perspective with my work with uh, Protect the Track and our local land occupation, 1492 Land Back Lane, which is actively for the past couple of years been resisting Mackenzie Meadows development on our territory. Um, but yeah, that's just me in a nutshell. Nice to meet you all. Welcome, welcome. Really glad to have all of you here. And Serena, we um, when I first reached out to Beth about uh, doing this podcast, she was insistent that you would be part of this conversation. So we're thrilled to have you here and to bring that that student perspective. Thank you. That kind of encapsulates my whole role in the project is how uh, respected my opinion as a young person has been in collaborating on the course. So thanks, Beth. <laughs> It's great to have all of you here and thanks so much for your introductions because it gives us sort of four different entry points into the course, Connecting for Climate Change Action. And Katrina, I'd like to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about what the course looks like right now? I know there's about 150 students um, and the course has changed over time, um, but what do you have them doing now? So right now, what we've done is develop a blended course at the moment. So there's an online component and once a week we meet for discussions. The discussion part, I would say, has really been inspired by Catherine Hayhoe, who talks a lot about the importance of talking about climate change. The online part takes students through six modules, which present both the science behind climate change and teach students about the data and evidence that shows climate change is happening, what are going to be the impacts of climate change, and also looks at the future, what can we do about climate change. At the same time, weaves in Indigenous knowledge, Indigenous perspectives, stories uh, that help us think about the shifts that we have to make to make a difference in terms of climate change and protecting the earth, and finding ourselves on the path to a better future than the one we're on right now. The modules are videos that, that we've worked on together, but also there's a lot of interactive activities. Um, Beth's worked uh, along with Serena on making uh, quite beautiful um, story maps that highlight some of the information um, that we want students to get. Um, as well, a, a really important part of the course is reflection and getting students to reflect about what they're learning and how it makes them feel to find out about 
in particular the future and what the future could look like depending on the choices we make. So that's kind of a nutshell. I think one of the really special parts about the online portion of the course, and again, this there's four of us here today, but actually there's a whole team of people behind this project. For example, our site where we have the course materials is quite beautiful. Uh, we have an artist involved, um, Holly Pichette, who has really brought a lot of the information to life through her artwork. And then there's a whole team of folks who are helping do animations in the videos. For me, I've been teaching this material for quite a long time, and it's like magical to see it brought to life through these videos. It's really moving for me to, to see kind of the things I've been talking about for years and years in this new form that is very artistic. It sounds like there's a lot of people working on making this class really vibrant and, and giving it its many pieces. And um, one piece I want to pick up on shortly is what you mentioned about reflection. But before we go there, as you're describing the course, you know, I'm recalling that it didn't always look the way that it looks today. You taught this course for a long time from a science perspective. Can you say a little bit about the origins of the course and why it has transformed into what it is now? I would love to. So the course started uh, with me and another colleague, Jamie Boot, and we really wanted to provide students with knowledge of the science behind climate change. And that's what we taught. And we did that for quite a few years. I ended up eventually teaching it on my own. And then I had a student come to me and say, hey, Dr. Moser, this is great. I love your course, but I'm very, very depressed about what I'm learning and I'm in a dark place. And I talked to the student more than once and it, um, it really made me rethink the course and where I was taking students and what I was doing to students. It made me realize I don't, that's not, that wasn't my goal, right? I really want to help students not only understand the science behind climate change, but also find a way to take action and to empower students to make a difference not just in their own lives, but in the future for other people as well. So that's really what inspired me to start trying to change the course. And I've been on this kind of amazing journey since then. So I'm really grateful to that student. Um, first, you know, trying to bring in some exercises that teach students that they, they can take action, they can make change. But then now in this new um, latest version of the course, to bring in Indigenous knowledge and perspectives and really open up the course to uh, new directions that we can take to tackle climate change. That's terrific. It's funny, before we recorded this, I, I had said to a few colleagues that I was doing an episode with Charles about teaching climate change. And, and the first reaction that I got was someone was like, oh, that's depressing. And so, you know, I can really see how students might feel disempowered and how important it is to be able to, to change that narrative you've all raised this idea of stories. You know, I thought we could talk a bit about the importance of storytelling and the role of stories in a course like this. It seems like it's such a major part of the course. In uh, past discussions I've had with you, I know Sarah May, this was a, a, something that you really emphasized, the importance of storytelling. Can you maybe say a little bit about why that's the case? 
Definitely. So like for myself, just like on a personal level, uh, I really work within storytelling and visiting as a pedagogical concept. Um, and that comes from my background as an Anishinaabe person and just kind of what I've learned along the way. And in terms of storytelling, I think what's really crucial in this course and what we are able to do, um, first of all, is, um, you know, I bring the Anishinaabe perspective, Serena brings the Haudenosaunee Panamanian perspective. So what we are showing is that, you know, all of the land that uh, is being impacted by climate change, all these diverse ecosystems, all these different places are connected to peoples that are indigenous to those lands. And the stories, they're like our creation stories come from the land and who we are as peoples comes from the land. Our languages come from the land. And I don't know what better way to explain it than share the stories that I was told and, and know and help me to come to understand that, to help others to come to understand that. And then also, I think, you know, having a relationship with land is not unique to Indigenous peoples exclusively. And so in order for people to understand perhaps how we got to be in this place of ecological crisis um, and, and climate crisis is perhaps because those relationships we, you know, many people don't have them anymore. They've been disrupted by colonialism, by forced relocation because of climate change itself, you know, things like that. And so when we start to now hear those stories of those peoples who have been disconnected from their homelands or disconnected from each other or have reconnected and have built these relationships or continue to maintain these relationships despite all of this can be incredibly empowering and can help other people understand their own like can help them locate themselves and can help them understand maybe better what their roles and responsibilities because we're able to share those stories and those understandings with each other I think the data and the science we need it because we got the people that are like this isn't really happening. And we're like, no, here's the data. It's happening. But, you know, humans, we don't respond to numbers. We don't have relationships with numbers. We have relationships with each other. We have relationships with the land. And how do we make meaning out of that data, out of what's happening? Well, it's the stories of what's happening to our, our human relations, to our plant and animal relations, how do we get people to understand that? Well, we tell stories and we visit with one another. And so I think that the course has really done a good job of it not only showing students, people talking about and sharing their stories. You know, one of the assignments is to visit with uh, someone from another generation. So, I mean, if you're younger, it might be like someone older, but maybe there's an older person and they interact with someone younger to talk about the changes that they've seen, um, you know, and then Serena and Beth did an amazing, um, like just a whole bunch of interviews with people about what their climate gift is. And that is incredibly beautiful because then that reflection piece, we're asking our students to reflect on their role and responsibility, what their gifts might be, um, so that it doesn't feel so overwhelming um, because all of our stories together, all of us collectively, is what's going to change that grand story, that big overarching story. So it's very meta and interconnected. It really is. But I, you know, I wonder, there's got to also be, as you're bringing in cultural stories and stories that you've grown up with or ones that are important to your community, is there a complexity in bringing those stories into the course and sharing them or, you know, like what, what you are able to share and, and how you share it? How does that work? 
it's really tricky um, because I always acknowledge like where I learned the story or where I heard it, where I can, but some things you just kind of grew up with. So it's really hard, especially with academia. Sometimes it's like, I know this to be true, but I have to find a citation or somebody else that can corroborate it or can, you know, so that gets tricky, but also just recognizing that there's some places like ceremony and lodges where we hear these stories or I myself too, that's the other problem is I'm, I'm learning, like growing my own understanding of Indigenous knowledges and pedagogies and seeking out those stories. And so it, becomes um, around like ethics and protocol of how to acknowledge where those stories come from, but also not take them out of context or like bend them to fit within the paradigms or within the module that we have created. I don't want to like make it fit it more. In some cases, it just stands alone, like our creation stories. They just kind of stand alone in the, in the module because that's where we want people to locate first, but it doesn't fit within that typical Euro-Western way of teaching and, and knowing, especially when it comes to like religion, separate, right? But it's not religion. It's our origin stories. It's how we were created. And then the other part that was really complex is um, because we do have really old stories that talk about, from what I understand as a per, an Anishinaabe person alive today, it sounds a lot like climate change. You know, there's a story of um, the last rose and um, the, or the story uh, and that comes from Leanne Simpson retelling in The Gift is in the Making and then there's a story of how the chipmunk got its stripes that um, Isaac Murdoch retells and both of those stories talk about how Anishinaabe forgot our teachings that we completely um, were disrespectful that there's bones scattered everywhere that we were being wasteful negligent we weren't maintaining good relations with plant and animal kin and in Chipmunk Got Its Stripes, what happened was a bunch of diseases were unleashed upon Anishinaabe um, to make us suffer for our mass disrespect against animals and plants. And then in The Last Rose Story, that actually describes the process that happens when we don't take care of our pollinators and our plants that need to be pollinated then that affects the whole ecosystem. So we have spoiled bear meat, you know, and all of these kinds of things. And so those stories to me, they're really old. They've been told, you know, before even settlers came here probably, but how do I give that story the same weight and the same respect as the scientific data gets? Or when we talk about prophecies too, because we have prophecies and we kind of align them with climate change projections that's how we sort of try to draw those parallels but this is an example of how indigenous knowledges do not always neatly fit into euro-western paradigms and, and euro-western research and, and knowledge production so those are some of the complexities that I have observed, but Serena probably could add to that or enhance what I've said. I was going to throw it to Serena because Serena, you were smiling as you, uh, I saw a big smile on your face as Sarah May began to answer that question. I was because it comes, I was thinking about a portion in the course when we talk about seven generations and I've heard this teaching from elders from Terry Lynn Branch, she's a seed keeper in our community. But then I was in with the other longhouse people and they were talking about, we don't necessarily say seven generations, we say coming faces. And so just in like how things for different people and different perspectives 
are different and that's okay. These are the teachings that have been passed down from these different forms and different kinds of peoples from their different histories and where they come from. And so it is really interesting, especially being people who want to make sure our knowledge is protected. And I think that's been a big thing for me coming from um, being in the longhouse and, and understanding that not too long ago, we weren't allowed to be able to share these teachings. And so how are we being respectful to the, to the people who have carried on these kinds of traditions? And uh, how are we sharing stories in a good way? Um, so yeah, it, I was just thinking about that. People might not hear all the same kinds of teachings, but it all comes from our community and our people. And when you can really just relay it back to someone you've heard it from, I think that's the most important part of showing that connection and where that knowledge comes from. But everyone's knowledge is different. And I think that's a large part of when it comes to Indigenous knowledge and our cultures, even in our own communities, because of the experiences we have, because of colonization and all. It is definitely tricky and, and wanting to make sure when you're accountable to a community that you're doing right by your community and not exploiting them for uh, pursuit of the institution. Um, I really, I really appreciate that. And uh, just so everybody knows, um, uh it looks like Chelsea's power just went out. It happened before and they got it back quickly. So hopefully they'll get her back up here quickly again. You know, related to this then, so we're talking about storytelling. We've heard a couple of times now that in terms of the assessments in this course, um, reflection plays a really big role. Beth, you, um, you are somebody who has worked as a curriculum specialist. Uh, you think deeply about assessments. In a course like this, what is the role of reflection? And can you tell us a little bit about how it's done and, you know, how it works? For sure. Um, I think reflection connects to a lot of what you've already been hearing from Serena and Sarah May and Katrina. Um, you know, students in the course are asked to reflect on ideas in a way that's not always common in a course that uses Indigenous and Euro-Western science, especially Euro-Western science. I hope this helps students to work through the difficult affective aspects of learning about climate change. As an instructor team, we have all had to work through it. And it's not like you're through it and you're good now. Like you continuously learn things and have a really hard time dealing with what we're doing to the planet. And students are experiencing that too. And I think reflection serves to help them wherever they're at with that, to think about it, to make some meaning from it, and then to hopefully move forward to a place where they feel like they can be a part of climate change action. So, you know, it connects to Katrina's initial story about being inspired to do things a little bit differently based on a student feeling pretty depressed about the state of the world. It also connects to um, what, you know, Sarah May is talking about with asking people to connect with people from a different generation and, and what they learn from that. But I think it also means a great deal to us as instructors because we're learning from the unique perspectives of students. And I now can't imagine not asking students how they're feeling about what they're learning. Like I can't imagine just conveying this knowledge and not finding out um, what they take from it because it's not, it's not straightforward. It's different for 150 students. We get 150 different answers and that's kind of a beautiful thing. So one thing I wanted to share is a reflection by Fatima Anwari, who is a student in the class, and she gave permission for me to share this. So students watch a documentary about the Hojide, which is the barren lands in the Northwest Territories. And the documentary is about the Tlicho Nation and the relationship that they have with the caribou and the barren lands on their traditional territory. And so this is like a small question on a quiz that I was just reading through. It's probably worth 0.2 of, of a percent. And this student basically brought like, you know, just all the emotion in me in her answer to this question. So she's an Afghan raised in Canada. 
Um, and Fatima made a connection to the stories of the Tlicho people and the connection that she hopes to foster with her own roots in Afghanistan and the traditional ways of life there. So she reflected on how the land in Afghanistan has changed from her parents' upbringing there. And she ends her reflection with a powerful connection that really spoke to all of us. Uh, and so I wanna share it with you. So she writes, I know what it feels like to hear stories from your elders about how wonderful your home used to be, about your people and what they experienced, to see pictures of it and then compare it to current deteriorating conditions and wish that things could be different. The story of the Tlicho and the Caribou vividly highlights how we are connected to the land and must take care of it if we hope to survive and live off of it. It reminds us that we are all interconnected, that all life is equal, and like the Caribou who don't have a voice, it's our responsibility to be that voice. So that's one of many reflections. To me, that's just incredible. Uh, and, you know, as I said, just a small quiz question. But this is one of so many reflections that we've seen and heard from students where yeah, it's like, do I need to tell you why we chose reflection when we can kind of hear something like that and see that we're allowing students the space to really make their own meaning from what they're learning in the course and to accept where they're currently at with um, their feelings about climate change. Yeah, I'd actually love to hear Sarah May and Serena comment on as they hear that. Sarah May, I, I, you're, when you hear that reflection, what goes through your mind? Um, solidarity. And just because I teach about this, because I imagine that I know that we're not the only ones that experience this. It's important for us to share those collective experiences because then we understand how much we do have in common and how we can, um, you know, build solutions. But I also think that uh, you know, just from a pedagogical standpoint, shameless plug for, you know, and we talk about Indigenous pedagogy in such a broad way, right? Like, because it's like, well, what does that mean when there's so many diverse Indigenous peoples, you know, what they talk about, at least from what I have learned from, you know, an Anishambe perspective is that you're just facilitating their knowledge gathering. Like it is knowledge transfer, but it's like you're a facilitator of knowledge exchange, so to speak. And when we tell stories, especially traditional stories, nobody walks away with the same meaning from the story. And because each, the story speaks to you, whatever you need to hear at that moment is what, you know, resonates with you. And that's important to recognize that. And this is why self-location is so important or positionality in the course as well, because asking students to reflect on who they are as people and how they are synthesizing this knowledge and how they are going to apply it and how this can change, how they relate to one another, how they relate to the information. It's all very relational too. So yeah, so reflection to me is like, just like a core part of learning because I want to know what did you hear? What are you thinking? And, and also how are you understanding what, what we're saying? It seems to me like this person understood on a level that like, not that I didn't expect it, but just that, you know, they felt it was really important for them to say that. And then that tells me that this is transcending assessment, it's transcending a grade, it's deep reflection on the state of the world. And I think that people need to be able to do that to change the world. So yeah. Katrina, I imagine uh, this, this methodology is different than the kind of one that you, uh, you grew up with. Yep, very different for sure. So first, hearing the reflection is very, very moving and uh, so important, as Sarah May pointed out, um, in terms of a student's growth and 
you know, what sorts of changes they want to make in the future. But also, I just really want to pick up on the theme of storytelling, because that's completely out of my, you know, view of education. And yet, the storytelling is what the students remember, right? We did a little study group, uh, focus group about the course, and that's what students really picked up on was, we want more stories. <laughs> and the other thing, I read from um, Breeding Sweetgrass a couple times in class, like just little excerpts. I've lectured for a long time. I've never had a class that quiet as when I'm reading those stories. So I think it's a, an incredibly powerful way um, that I'm new to, to uh, teach students and help them find meaning in a very, very different way than how I've traditionally taught science. So, yeah. That is so cool. Now, just for transparency for our listeners, um, uh, Chels uh, fell off our, our call there. Is your power out, Chels? The power went out, but it just came back on a minute ago. I think I missed some of the reflection pieces that are so important. Luckily, yeah. we're recording this episode, so you'll be able to hear them. Yes, yes, luckily. <laughs> No. You, you want me to continue there. and you could jump in as we uh as as you get settled <laughs> sure that sounds good sorry everybody we'll have to include this somehow in the episode <laughs> all right so so going from that perspective then serena bringing the student kind of perspective to this you're hearing from colleagues who are having these kinds of transformative experiences what was what is your experience uh in a, in this course yeah, they were really making me think a lot just now. And and the fact that I wasn't too long ago in the same position that the students are in now, thinking about how when it comes to your undergrad, it's a lot more than just being able to get a degree and, and the amount of personal growth that you go through when you're in that degree. A lot of things clicked for me when I was in my undergrad when it came to learning and being critical of the systems around me and and having these experiences as an Indigenous person that I didn't necessarily have the language or knowledge behind. It was just like my life, but then being able to find uh, those theories, those people, those stories that really gave that grounded understanding to who I was as an Indigenous person and to be able to understand in the grander context of uh, colonization and the environmental impact. And that's honestly the reason I got into environmental work was because I started to work with other communities who had been impacted by environmental degradation, climate change industry. And when I was working with these other communities and seeing the impacts it was having on their health and, and looking at health beyond what we think with physical health and disease and illness, but looking at it as how we view it as Indigenous peoples. And, and I was able to understand why my community was so unhealthy, why we have high rates of homelessness. And so then I was able to go back into my community and feel empowered into who I was and and have that grounding. Sarah May touched on positionality because that's exactly, I think, the core of the course, that we can get students so grounded in who they are so that they're able then to find those gifts, which is at the ending of the course. We talk on climate action gifts. And an elder has told me that your gift is your passion. And that's kind of where this assignment came out of, because we want the students to understand that each of them have these gifts and each of them have these passions and roles within uh, taking climate action. And so I think that's really beautiful to hear that reflection. And, and it's really empowering as a young person to know that I'm able to share 
my experiences and my knowledge that I've gained so far from the unique perspective I hold so that other students can also be on that learning journey because it is so much more than a degree it's really wanting to be able to come into your own and I think that's at the core of climate action and in teaching climate change is to be able to know where you come from your place and how you're able then to go from there and take action it's empowering because that was just me a couple years ago and to know that other students are thinking so critically and other students are able to make those deep connections back home where it really counts especially when we want to take local action it's been really empowering to be a youth on this project I think a lot of the time in university we have professors telling us what they think we should know but then when you bring a young person in you're bringing that youth perspective what do we want to know as young people? What are we searching for? And so I'm able to have this kind of perspective in the course of what am I yearning for, especially as someone who works in climate action, that would be useful for me in taking climate action itself, but also building relationships with Indigenous peoples, as Sarah May said, who are uniquely positioned to take on the climate crisis. It's really important that we have this intergenerational collaboration because it brings forth a ton of different perspectives that can really empower a student to find their place and their gift within these kinds of contexts and these scary times and so it's been it's been really exciting to show the power of young people and how our knowledge is very important and needs to be on the same scale as our older counterparts. Thanks, Serena. I mean, you're talking about, in a way, the power of collaboration, different forms of collaboration. And it seems to me that the four of you here and now have a really unique collaboration happening. And I'm just wondering, what are some of the takeaways that you have from working with each other through this process, through through building this course? Well, I wish that our collaboration wasn't unique, because to me, having community input on curriculum is something that I'm trying to do in my work but it's really difficult because the way the world is set up academia is not set up to collaborate in this way I don't think yeah professors have their degrees they're the experts they're the ones that set the curriculum and the syllabus and that's cool but when it comes to indigenous knowledges um an indigenous knowledge mobilization I think it has to come from collaboration because that's where that knowledge comes from in the first place. So for me, I was also keen, not just because I'm passionate about the topic, but, you know, I started this role in December 2019, and it's the first Indigenous curriculum and pedagogy advisor role at Western University. You know, I came into it from my own experiences as an educator. Actually, ironically, indigenizing my curriculum without realizing that's what I was doing. I was just teaching it from what I understand. And so when Katrina said, I have this course and we really need indigenous, you know, perspectives in it. I saw this as a really cool opportunity for myself because I learned by doing what it means to take existing content that has been created by a non-indigenous person and do we just squeeze in indigenous, you know, or like what, like, how do we do this? Because, you know, to a lot of people, indigenizing content just translates into, oh, I have a week where we talk about indigenous people or I have one week where we bring in an indigenous speaker. But between like best online understanding of online pedagogies, Katrina's like years of experience and expertise just in climate science. And then Serena, a student who brings so much fresh perspective about how to engage students. 
we all bring our own gifts to uh, translating this knowledge and, and making it an experience that people can see how it all fits together too in a super meta way but also like right from the get-go we were like okay storytelling we want that to be a big part of it right and so we really focused on on bringing those stories in through videos and interviews and those kinds of things because that just made sense to us but then it also made very clear to me that this level of collaboration the resources it took to create this course um, financial and otherwise human I don't know that academia is really ready to indigenize education because like we had to get a bunch of grants to do this. And also that also was a learning for us because we were under deadlines and under structures that oftentimes weren't necessarily conducive to, um, to allowing us to be creative or allowing us the time to build the relationships, like even just us building our relationship at the beginning of working on this took time, right? And so there's a lot this course got me thinking about when it comes to indigenizing curriculum and different ways of going about it too, because there's no one way to do that. And I don't know until this course is done. I don't know if we can like done being taught, I should say. I don't know if we can call it a success, but from what I've heard from the students, I feel like we have successfully done something. Is it indigenization? I don't know, but we, we definitely upped the indigenous content, which I think is really important. But yeah, so that's my takeaway was just like, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of collaboration. I don't think it can be done without collaboration. And I think that that is something that administration and people that are really committed to doing this work to make the time, make the resources, set aside the resources for and give people the permission to, to do it because that's the only way I see. So I want to pick up from Sarah made about collaboration because I have to say I'm the old person in this group and um, I've been around for a while. And honestly, this is probably the most rewarding thing I've worked on in my career. And it's it's partly working with, I think, exceptional young people um, who are supporting this course. But I've learned so much from, you know, from Beth, from Serena and from Sarah May, and in particular, it's really shifted my way of looking at both teaching, but also my research in climate change. So it's, to me, it's been an incredible privilege and a real gift to be involved in this project. And I think, Sarah May, you, you really hit it. Like, I think universities have to give people space and time to work on these kind of projects because there are a lot of challenges and it really, that relationship building it does take time and, and you have to have space to do it. And all of us are doing a lot of other things at the same time that we're creating this course. That's a huge challenge to get together. I mean, we meet once a week um, and then we kind of do stuff in between, but even finding and keeping that time is, is really hard and challenging. So I think to me, that point is so important for people to hear that I think it's important for people to have that space and time. To me, as an Indigenous young person, kinship is at the core of climate action and climate justice. And it's been amazing to see that this collaboration is the embodiment of what we're trying to teach other students and that we in ourselves have now created that community that 
we don't necessarily have at Western University taking on education that's combining these types of different knowledges and, and we've made our communities. And so it's been really powerful as a young person to see the kind of faculty and staff at Western who have really now embodied those practices and, and are learning from us as well. And I think that's the only way we'll be able to move forward when it comes to the climate crisis is creating that community and, and how important it has really been for the course. And I think it's just a beautiful cycle of um, love, kinship and community that really has come out of this uh, teaching and learning experience. That's so fantastic. Beth, you are a curriculum specialist. What is, as you look forward now to the way that we do this kind of stuff, uh, the way yeah. that we teach and design courses, what are you thinking? This is so rare. So this is different because uh, in my role at the Center for Teaching and Learning, I wouldn't usually get to be a full member of a team like this. I would more like fly in, fly out, provide some advice, you know, usually provide feedback on ideas that come from instructors or TAs or faculty members. This is completely different, the level of collaboration that we have. It's really hard to even describe. Like if people could see how we worked together, it probably wouldn't be what they expected. And it wasn't even really what I expected when we started. Like we will sit around one of our dining tables for an entire day. And sometimes we think, oh, this isn't what we meant to work on. But what people may, may not realize is the amount of learning that we do from one another. And then at the end of that, we have to figure out a way to figure out how we get students to experience some of that learning as well. So it's not a matter of, oh, we have this course and we have this knowledge and we're just going to, you know, put it together in a way that makes sense. It's like the amount of learning that we do from one another is incredible. And it's just, it's so rare to be a part of a team like this, the four of us plus I have 10 other people that are helping to make this what it is. So yeah, I think it's really rare. And I think when you try to account, you know, when you're writing a grant for how you're going to spend your time, you really can't predict that, or, you know, maybe people listening to us will realize this um, now, but you can't really account for the amount of time it takes to build the relationships, to learn from one another, and then to figure out, okay, now how do we bring some of this rewarding experience to students? And I wish it wasn't so rare because as Katrina said, this is like the best team that I've been a part of. And, and I'm so like, so incredibly grateful for that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's involved a lot of just like listening and respecting what all of us bring like amongst each other. Um, and all of that takes time, but I'm so happy with where it's brought us to. And Beth and Katrina, what are the future plans for this course? Katrina, do you want to go for this one? Uh, yeah, it's going to be open. So we're really excited. So um, the course is almost done, shockingly, um, for Western students, the first group of Western students to take the course. Um, and uh, we're really excited to get some feedback from them about their experience, although we all, we have some idea because we've been reading their reflections and so on about how it's going. Um, and then in 2023, we're going to be opening this course uh, free and open for anyone to take because um, maybe not the entire, but part of the impetus of this course uh, that you've heard from us is that climate change really ought to be everybody's business. There's no sector, there's no positionality, there's no like human or other than human can on this planet that isn't affected by climate change or whose way of life or business isn't affecting climate change. We're a part of the climate. That's one of the things that we've learned from Awasis, who's one of the people that we interviewed from our course, who puts it amazingly, just to say that we are a part of the climate. Um, so that's why we want to bring this to everybody. We want everyone to be thinking about, you know, speaking up within their sphere of influence and thinking about what they could be doing 
in their family, in their community, in their job, in their sector, in their like lobby group or their boardroom. Uh, and that's that's where we're headed. So yeah, to answer your question shortly, it's going to be open to everyone and we're really excited to bring it to everyone. I can't wait to experience the course and to and to learn from it and to think about how to um, think through climate change in my own pedagogy. So thank you for the openness around it. Thank you for this discussion. And thank you, Beth and Katrina, Sarah May and Serena for joining us today. It's really great to have you here. Much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. We also want to thank, while we're on thank yous, I really want to thank our instructional technologist, Sally Goldberg-Powell, who produces Podagogies, uh, and the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Toronto Metropolitan University for uh, funding this podcast. And thanks as well to Brock University Center for Pedagogical Innovation for supporting this podcast. 